Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And Noel, it's... It's an it's an important day. It's a happy day. It's a pop culturally meaningful day for me because Amy Poehler and Tina Fey are going to host Golden Globes next year. So I already have something I'm looking forward to next year, which is more than I can say this time last year. That's good. I'm I'm glad the Hollywood Foreign Press managed to find enough money to get them to come back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I remember seeing them at the Globes, like uh, like pictures of they were. I think they were at the Globes this year. All right, I don't know. Maybe I'm, it was old old pictures that were resurfacing on social media because I did not yeah. watch the Globes this year because why would I watch the Globes when Ricky Gervais is hosting? And it's just, it's just like being, I was just saying they're wistful. And I was like, remember when they hosted and it was awesome. There's all these funny ladies that they keep not having host. Uh, so yes, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I'm more looking forward to making it being renewed for a season three, which is very exciting. And even more than that, the CW renewed everything except Katie Keene, which has not been renewed yet. And the shows that are already mentioned that they were ending, I'm not getting in trouble. Latoya was giving me crap about Limitless when when yes. she came on. Listeners, the end of the show, front of the show, Latoya Ferguson came back on so we could talk Lucifer. That's going to be at the end of the show. I'll talk more about it a little bit. But even Latoya was giving me shit about Limitless. So everything in the CW is renewed except for Katie Keene and Supernatural and Arrow and the 100. The 100. The hundred, yeah. which are all ending, but everything yeah. else is renewed, which means more legends. We were, I was very convinced we were not getting more legends. I was too. I figured that the Crisis on Infinite Earths was maybe going to provide them a way, like to wrap up the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're just like, oh no, critics like this show, so let's just keep it going. Let's just <laughs> keep it going. No one watches this, but let's keep it going. Why not? It should be fine, yeah. right? Yeah, no, I th- I just it's it's good and I'm excited and I'm very surprised, but I'm mostly just pleased and I also hope that between seasons that we're not Oh, by the way, we're also going to get rid of two of your other favorite actors on the show because reasons. Yeah, well and it's like, well this is the get renewed perfect opportunity to bring back Courtney Ford and Brandon Routh. I mean, yeah. obviously, right? Like because as, as I think has been popularized by a friend of the show, Alison Shoemaker, the main ethos at Legends is why the fuck not? Yeah. And I think that would be great. We're trying in, in the Legends writers, we're trying to trust. It's just it's difficult right now. It's difficult yeah. right now. But I'm very excited about the show coming back next week. Are you excited for Crisis? I am. I'm very excited for Crisis to come back. Um, yeah. And wrap up. I'm super. They've been really doing a lot of work teasing Oliver's something else mm-hmm. um transformation so i'm curious to see how that's getting depicted yeah no there was there's been a bunch of other like news and things out of tcas there was yeah. uh, some shakeup with uh Pedowitz over at the cw he's ceo now um but yeah the, I, i'm i'm getting pretty stoked about a lot of the upcoming premieres and returns and there's just there's just so much there's so much tv and yet as I mentioned earlier, what do I spend my time binging? Lucifer, the new season of Zumbo's Just Desserts, which I have already watched all of. Of course I have. Okay. 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, apparently, listener uh, Wujo444 says we need to get on Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. So I'm going mm-hmm. to try. I, I I need a treadmill show. So hopefully that's not too um, blasphemous. But I'm thinking maybe I'll try that one out now that I'm all caught up. One of our listeners, Vince, of course, has been binging Lucifer and, and, t- and tweeting me about his experience as he does it. And he's already on season three. And he started like a week ago, maybe. So Oof. I feel you so hard, That's Vince. Fast. Well, it's because it's good and it's super fun. And it's a very bingeable show. He's having some trouble in season three. I'm looking forward to if he comes out the other side of it or if this turns him off the show. So fingers crossed. Uh, I hope Vince will enjoy my segment with Latoya. We, we just like have this like free range chat about Lucifer because we're trying to avoid spoilers, which makes it hard to talk about the specifics of a four season long show. Because yeah, some... you should have just dived right in. Well, because I'm trying to get other people to watch the show, and mm-hmm. if I if I give massive spoilers, it's less of a. T- so hopefully Latoya will come back when the show finishes, and we can do like a real like spoilery nuts and bolts break and break things down but yeah there there's um it's a fun kind of breezy chat on what works about the show and what other shows could do more to uh like what, what they could benefit learning from from lucifer and she helped me realize i think the closest tonal comparison i have for lucifer though it is different is actually legends and that's part of why i'm so game for it it's just a much more grounded kind of but it would be right. fun, and so it's ridiculous, but we're going to take it seriously kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, that's super fun. That's at the end of the show. For now, there's a lot of TV for us to talk about this week, like all of Infinity Train <laughs> and a bunch of other premieres. So we're, we should get to our week in, in TV. You know what? I was excited to not watch, Noel. What were you excited not to watch? Aside from the Golden Globes. Aside from the Golden Globes, I didn't watch any Dracula, and it was awesome and i saw people talking about dracula online and on some of the podcasts i listened to and i was like i didn't watch that and i'm just so happy i mean i'm sure it's fine i don't i haven't i don't know but i just it was it was such a nice moment to like be on netflix and be like no i don't want to watch it on netflix readjust your algorithm it was fun i want to watch australians bake ridiculous things i want to watch australians bake absolutely ridiculous things that actually aired. Zumbo's just deserves. We'll talk about it next week. The uh, but it aired in 2019 in November in Australia. Okay. So like it's apparently I could have spoiled myself accidentally if I hadn't you know, if I had known that. So I'm mm-hmm. glad that I didn't. But anyways, that's a conversation for next week. Right now, let's listen to the music and we'll come back with our weekend TV right after this.
This week in TV, we're going to kick things off with comedy and the return of Schitt's Creek for its season six premiere, Smoke Signals. Protect the babies. Um, then Noel is going to check in with Keep Your Hands Off Izuken, uh, The Greatest World, which is their season premiere over on Crunchyroll. We'll check in with The Good Place. You've changed, man. And just like the deliciousness of that cameo. Um, though maybe it's a guest spot. Whatever. That's for future end of the year list consideration. Not for right now. Then we're going to move over to drama with Dare Me on USA, which had uh, premiered actually previously. But the premiere is called Coup d'etat, and then the episode this week is Mutually Assured Destruction. Then Stumptown is back with Reality Checks Don't Bounce, and uh, Evil had Room 320, which was creepy. Uh, before we go over to genre for Doctor Who, Spyfall Part 2, and we'll round things up with what is, I'm, will I'm sure be a lengthy chat on Infinity Train Book 2, Cracked Reflection. And I'll list all those episode titles when we get to it. So first up is Shit's Creek, which came back for season six. Obviously, I like season five and the whole show significantly more yeah. than you do. Uh, but I still, I'm curious what you thought of this premiere. I thought it was a, a lovely uh, and and very Shit's Creek return for for the season premiere. I'm excited for this last season. Yeah, no, I think the premiere is pretty solid. Um, I like that it's sort of a reaffirmation of like the family and the way in which they've drawn in um, Patrick and, oh dear. Stevie. Stevie, thank you. I just totally blanked on Stevie's name. Into their, like, into their group. Mm-hmm. Um, by having them either go to the venue or just reaffirming um, Moira and, I cannot remember anyone. Moira Johnny. and Johnny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, their relationship, but also pushing forward a little bit of like a potential out as well with the Crows movie being back on um, in terms of distribution. So they can get that dress again. <laughs> oh, the dress. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. so gorgeous. Yeah. I liked that we actually, it never occurred to me that there actually is a creek in Shit's yeah. Creek. They actually went down to Shit's Creek. I was surprised to not see more thirst tweets over Johnny, who was looking good in his disheveled look. Very tousled. It was a good good look for him. Um, so I would have I would have ex- expected more U- Eugene Levy thirst than we actually got. Uh, so that was surprising to me. But I thought it was very charming and fun. The like the button on the venue thing was just mm-hmm. absolutely perfect and hilarious. Um, the <laughs> along with just having you know working tangentially in the wedding industrial complex as a musician like the cost of a venue like that i, I was just the whole time we were, we were watching this, i was watching the scene i was just like there's no way they can afford this venue like, right it's imp- absolutely impossible what is going on what is happening and then of course david hadn't considered that so doing the backyard wedding which i'm sure they will actually do makes a, a lot very more sense. nice job with, and yeah. they will do a good job with it and uh I, I i think that's a good way at least for now setting up the trajectory of our expectations for probably the season finale or series finale um right but there was also plenty of ridiculousness i like the the workaround of alexis getting yes. her month and date confused as a reason why she's still in the last season um and having <laughs> just like all of the ridiculousness with the fire uh, the toaster the smoke and the wigs and everything it was just it was a good way to get moira out of the closet and you know back on her feet um however briefly flirting yeah. with retirement so it, it just was a i think a good start and i look forward to what's coming next the yeah the the whole still having your show makeup on thing was yes great <laughs> <laughs> and so very appropriate, especially this since this is Stevie's first um, uh, community theater 
you know, and for its theater experience at all. So, like, yeah, that that's <laughs> as uh, for the show, Alison Shoemaker said when we were talking about this. Someone on that writing staff did community theater or, or did yeah. high school theater. So, like, that's just such an yeah, that was perfect. It was great. A lot, lots of things to love in the Shit's Creek premiere. Do you have any other any final thoughts? No, it's it was just very solid, and I enjoyed all the things you listed. And gosh, I I don't know how they ever the discount cannot be. <laughs> Too discounted for that first Sunday. <laughs> yeah, there is no such thing as enough of a discount for that. Yeah, it's horrendous. Every time you looked at the picture, you would just hear that sound, you know? It would yeah. just be terrible. Oh, okay, well, well, tell me about Keep Your Hands Off by Zukin over on Crunchyroll. This is the, the series premiere, The Greatest mm-hmm. World. What, what is this? All right, so this is the first anime in five years um, from Musai uh, Yusuka, who... You and other listeners here will recognize as the man responsible for the food chain episode of Adventure Time. Ah, yes. Right. So he did, um, the last anime series he did was Ping Pong the Animation, which is great. You should go watch it. Yes. Um, I've heard of of that one. Ha ha. Yeah. And not from you, from other people. (laughs) Yeah. And it was on my, like, uh, top, my decades list Mm -hmm. as well, because it's really, really good. Um, so this is based on a manga series of the same name that deals with three girls that live in this kind of megalopolis sort of um, island state. Um, one of them, Midori, wants to make anime, but she can't really convince herself to take that first step. And through happenstance, she runs into this up-and-coming, like, starlet who belongs to this really rich family who also wants to be an animator, but her family won't even let her watch anime at the anime club in school. And they have, she has bodyguards that are there specifically to prevent her (laughs) from watching anime. And then Midori's best friend is this tall gangly um, cynic who basically goes, Oh wait, the two of you want to make anime. You're both really good artists. We can make a lot of money. (laughs) And so the first episode is this delirious love letter, both to animation, specifically anime in general, but specifically anime, but anime in general, but Miyazaki specifically. Um, So there's a reference to his uh, work on the Conan franchise. Um, And then there's just a lot of like Miyazaki flourishes throughout the episode that are just really, really loving and beautiful. There's even like a ridiculous flying machine that makes no sense. And just all this stuff that starts to build in terms of how they get sucked into one another's own like animated reality to kind of deal with what's going on. Um, But even like the megalopolis that they're on is also just really weird and... So they end up going to, like, this laundromat. But the only way to get into this laundromat is this Alice in Wonderland-esque door that is underneath the support platform for a window AC unit. Okay. It's just very weird. Um, no, that sounds really fun. Yeah, no, it's very, very fun. It's very much like a animations lover's anime um, so if you're really into just animation in general, I think that this is something to watch. Um, so you can watch it on Crunchyroll. You can watch it for free on Crunchyroll a week after episodes air. Um, and it's just, it's really, really good. Um, I really like the character designs. I really like the overall design aesthetic of the, where they live. It's just weird Ashker-esque blocks of concrete that don't make any sense and that they know don't make any sense. Like, their school clock tower 
is not visible because of all the buildings. So all the students have to look across the bay to that clock tower to know what time it is. <laughs> um, so there's just all sorts of like weird little flourishes that I think are just really delightful. And this is a director that is very, very, very good at sort of executing this kind of stuff, but still finding like an emotional core in it as well. So I'm really eager to keep watching this. Um, it's the anime so far that I've watched this season that I'm the most excited about. Um, so yeah, seek it out if you're interested at all in it. It's very, very good. At least this first episode is very, very good. Yeah, that sounds super fun. So I'm going to try to check that out. We'll see how my time goes, but I'm going to do my best to, to watch that for next week. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for bringing it to our attention. Next up is The Good Place. You've changed, man. Or the episode with, I'm just going to say Raylan Givens, even though they call <laughs> well, him Timothy Oliphant. <laughs> well, it's it's a weird kind of split because Timothy Oliphant is in quotation marks. Uh-huh. In oh, because it's in obviously the- not Timothy Oliphant. It's the judge's, like... Interpretation right. of the elephant from Justified. Right. Because I was reading like um an interview that A V Club did with Mike Schur about it, and they're just and Elephant was just like, So am I going full Givens? Mm-hmm. And they're just like thirty percent. We still want you, uh-huh. but thirty percent givens. Yeah. Stetson? Yes, of course, Stetson. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I think it's supposed to be like a weird mix of stuff because I don't think that they wanted to lose that fact that Elephant is very, 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 very funny. Mm-hmm. And it's just like there was a long discussion about the grinder in that interview. <laughs> I need to go so, read this interview clearly. Yeah. Yeah. So there was just a really long discussion about him doing the grinder as himself, but also not himself mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. And that was, I think, kind of the basis for this cameo i think is probably the best i think cameo is the correct choice here but aside from that really just delightful sort of i don't have a i don't have a dog in this i'm just curious about how you're going to do all this and that weird swagger type stuff that he was doing what did you think about this episode overall i thought it was fun i liked the that their solution is like is reincarnation (laughs) Um, I think that it's really straightforward, but makes sense with some of their the like themes of the show, and that they have been working into the sort of the, the groundwork of the, these different characters over the past several seasons. I don't know if that's what they were always headed towards, but it, I think it makes sense. Um, we'll see what happens, what comes next, because there's still a few more episodes. But mm-hmm. I think it's a, a logical progression for these characters to make and it, it, this one really did work for me on a character and comedy front yes. like it, it worked came together really nicely and the beat with sean at the end i thought was very appropriate and and yeah again it, it addressing one of those things that would be a big hole in the the choices character choices and the motivations of like you know so bringing it back to this all started because you were bored and let me do something different yeah. So clearly it's not working for you either. So I liked that awareness and yeah, just speaks to the craft at the heart of the show. All like almost always and certainly, you know, even when we've had issues with it, it's still a really well thought out show. Um, so this, this, you know, I'm very confident about the end of the show based on this one. Yeah, I am too. And I was also glad that we just kind of got back to philosophy as well, yeah. since Chidi was here and it was just like, I've got a white, I've got a blackboard, 
I've got a lecture, I've got a book, and mm-hmm. I have all 800 of my lives crammed into my head, and I'm a much more assertive and confident person. Yeah. I got this. Yeah. Um. So, <laughs> I really... I, I really appreciated that we kind of got back to that sort of like nuts and bolts level of, all right, so we fixed everyone in the cast, aside from Tahani to a certain degree of, yeah, no, my main flaw is I can't pull off a mod look. Um, <laughs> from, every, from okay, how do we fix everything else in spite of the fact that the Good Place people are terrible um, and too hollow, and then Sean represents just... Sean needs that growth as well, so we don't. We need to figure out a way to do all that, and then they do, and I think it works really, really nicely. Um, but mostly, I think for me, like you were saying, like integrating the character plot and comedy stuff, I think just works really well, and is really epitomized by the fact that Chidi and Eleanor keep turning each other on so much that they think that they need to leave to go, take to go a have sex. <laughs> and then they're just like, no, we need to finish this first. We need to save all of humanity. But then after that, <laughs> yeah. you're yeah. putting back on that post office, that postal postal delivery outfit, and we're yeah. doing this. Um, so, no, I just, I really appreciated that through line of really... It was just really well balanced, even if I did get a little tired of the Janet voids. Mm -hmm. But I also feel like that was just Darcy Carden going, can I just have a week with Maya Rudolph? Can can we make that happen? Yeah. <laughs> and and if we can have just a little bit of time on roller skates, that would be great. Yeah. Um, I was a little concerned that more Disco Janet would be too much Disco Janet, but I think this was just the right amount of Disco Janet. It was, and it was a good cap for having her marble be just a mini disco ball. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah. Very good. Um, okay, so next up is Dare Me, and mm-hmm. I forgot that this was a show that was happening. So, so what you know, what made you want to sit down with this one? Uh, the premiere is Coup d'etat, and this week's episode is Mutually Assured Destruction. Right. So I also missed that this was even happening because I don't watch USA in any capacity anymore. Um, and I saw a tweet from Daniel Feinberg over at, uh, The Hollywood Reporter, who really liked, um, the, I think, first six episodes or so that critics got. Um, and so Dare Me's based on Megan Abbott's novel, which is a novel I've, I've really, really enjoyed when I read it a number of years ago, um, that deals with the sinister and backstabbing and overwrought drama nature of cheerleading and of a cheerleader squad in this uh, Rust Belt area um, that a coach, new coach comes in who was previously there um, to shake things up and like takes down the top girl basically and just like starts shuffling things around and all the dynamics get thrown out of whack. Um, And this sounds all really kind of stereotypical sort of high school drama-esque um, narrative stuff. What sort of, what elevates the novel in particular and what the show does a decent job of recapturing is that Abbott has a panache, a penchant for really being able to capture sort of the dreamlike quality of existence um, through her writing. Um, she ha- she's, does really specific turns of phrases and imagery language that is really evocative and just pops really nicely in your brain and does a lot of the legwork. Um, and I think that the show does a decent job with, by affixing sort of a noir aesthetic 
to the show to capture that, since noir as a production cycle slash genre is also vaguely dreamlike, because in most noirs, nothing makes any sense. Um, so Jeremy has plenty of layers of melodrama and soap opera layered in, but it's all refracted through this lens of a cheerleading squad noir, for want of a better term, in which everyone is both the detective and the femme fatale. And what does that mean? How does that operate? And how does that change the dynamics? So I think that the show is generally pretty solid. Um, it generally eschews a male gaze, which is really impressive considering you've got women in their 20s in cheerleading outfits doing somersaults and that kind of a thing. Um, and it's also got a number of really good anchoring performances, primarily from the two main cheerleaders. Um, one of whom is Australian. This is like her first big headline type of show, and she's very, very good as the former captain slash top girl. Um, she veers into camp sometimes, but most of the time it's it feels generally really straight and vaguely fresh for this kind of a character. So I think that there's plenty of good stuff here. Um, I do think that for some viewers, the portentous... Um, voiceover stuff is going to be kind of a barrier but i even that becomes a layer of the woman who delivers that um the voiceovers all of her stuff all of her pat sort of insights quote unquote all come all, all always prefaced with coach says or coach always said so it becomes this layer of additional hero worship that then feeds that loop of not being able to trust her narrator because corrupted in whatever ways so i think that there's plenty of good things here um that are being built and i'm curious to watch more of it um but it's also not essential. It's not something I think that you need to rush out to watch. And it may almost be better to watch it sort of all at once after everything's aired. But I like what I've seen so far of these first two episodes. Yeah, that's much, much more interesting than there's a new cheerleading show, which is yeah. what I've heard <laughs> other places. Yes. So thank you. That is actually very interesting. Yeah. Um, over on Stumptown, our, you know, to keep some noir with noir we had reality checks don't bounce um and this one i wanted to mention just because first of all i always enjoy my caps um love when he pops up and the music in that fight scene was just so fun it was so cowboy bebop the entire thing was cowboy bebop yeah we're gonna do a fight in a pet store and i just went you did a fight in the pet store in the second episode of cowboy bebop or the second or third one with when they got iron and i just went They've watched Cowboy Bebop! Because it was also very kind of kung fu-y, too. Yeah. I just went, oh, you guys are doing a kung fu bebop homage. People my age are making television. This is what Gen X and boomers have felt like for the past 30 years. (laughs) Yep, pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, What did you think of the case of the week? I liked the case of the week, and I liked the resolution for the case of the week as well, which I thought was really important to kind of maintaining a sense of honesty about like this conception of Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really liked how that got resolved. I very much called it very quickly because we had no other suspects really. So I just went, yeah, no, he's in the pet store. He's in the cage. Be- That's he's- what that was about. Yeah. 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 So we're covered there. Um, but generally I think it was just, it was a generally really well executed case of the week and I liked it. And yes, the, it helped that the big fight scene at the end was really helped elevate 
the case of the week as well to provide it with a really good climax. But yeah, also Mike Epps was just really good, and I really enjoyed Dex's uncomfortableness with being on that court show, but also winning that court show. Because <laughs> yeah. where are you going to find another three-legged cat? Yeah, yeah, that was that was pretty great with with the same markings and everything yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good stuff. Uh, the uh, the the stuff with Ansel, uh, Ansel, I thought was really good. Um, I think it was it was either Caroline Sita or Alice Shoemaker we were, I was talking with, and they were saying, you know, I just need them to stop calling him Buddy. Yes. they always call him Buddy, and that's too infantilizing. Yes, um, and I wholeheartedly agree. Um, but I like that it is because I, I I thought that he was in his twenties, the characters in his twenties, and then I thought that they had established that he was actually younger um, in the previous episode. So to just have it, no, no, he's 21 years old. He wants to live by himself. Like that's, you know, I like that they very clearly established all of that in this episode and uh, we'll, we'll see what, what comes next. But yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about undercover stuff with gray is how I feel about it. I like the idea of him and the cop doing more stuff together, because I think that that it's a good dynamic. There's fun to be had there. But yeah. I don't necessarily like the undercover stuff, because I don't think it's a, it's appropriate, really, with Gray for his character. And I think that they have not shown themselves to really shine with that stuff on this show as much. So I'm a, you know, as much as I did like that one episode we got with him, with the safe cracking and everything, in general, I'm not super interested in, in that chapter of his, his his history. So I'm I'm a little leery about that. But other than that, I did really like this mid-season premiere. Yeah, and I, I kind of question using, like, Jake Johnson for this stuff as well. Like, yeah. the preview, I just looked at it and went, I don't buy this at all. Mm-hmm. I buy him as a reformed criminal. I don't buy him as a criminal. And part of that's just his star image. But part of that is also just... He looks uncomfortable <laughs> trying to play a bad guy. <laughs> yeah, and not in a way the way I think that they intend. Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 Just this is this isn't my wheelhouse. My wheelhouse is being cool and funny and supportive, and but also sometimes a little angry. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The um. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe hopefully they, they will surprise us, but we'll. we'll We'll see. Let's move on to, uh, instead of dwelling with that, let's move on to our next episode, which is Evil, Room 320, and uh, really making a play for creepiest episode of the year, and we're like two weeks into the year. Damn, this is a good episode. Yeah, it is. It's really creepy. The squeaks are really good call. The demon Mm -hmm. orderlies are really good. Um, The fake... Uh, father bishop abbot whatever um is really really good it's just it's a really creepy episode um and my one critique and i should should say that my critique is really my person's critique and i just very much agree with it is that it's a good episode and a good exploration of how black people are treated in hospitals but at the same time, it sort of sidesteps that systemic issue and just kind of puts it on the one evil nurse. Um, so while it's a very good way of tackling it, it also like sidesteps the systemic issues, which I'm shocked that the kings <laughs> would do that with a racial with a racial point to make because uh, they've never done that in the past. Never. 
Oh God! Yes. I told I told my person about the Ferguson episode that they did on Good Wife, mm-hmm. and how we've all just collectively forgotten that it happened because it was yeah. so bad. That's what's um, best for our for for, yeah. for yes for our ability to continue to watch their products. Yes. So yeah, yeah no, this was just generally. I'm saying generally a lot today. I apologize. <laughs> this was a really good episode. Um, it was very creepy, and I enjoyed the way in which it got resolved through the cha- the very slow, fast-walking chase through mm-hmm. the hospital corridor, um, as opposed to some other sort of conflict type of deal, and... Yeah, it was it was it was good. I I I kept waiting for the world of the world thing to kind of resurface in some capacity, but it did not. Yeah, no. yeah. Tara Summers is really good as Nurse Block. Oh, so good. Yeah, and she like she pops up in she pops up in Lucifer in a similar kind of role. She pops up in a lot of shows for like one episode yes. here or there at, in this kind of a role or in like a like a not evil <laughs> supporting yeah. role of this, but she always is terrific. And I would like to see her get cast somewhere. Assuming that's what she wants in a yeah. regular role. Cause she's very good and very memorable. And it was like, as soon as she popped, up, I was like, ah, her, I don't know her name, but I should learn her name because she's always good when she's on my TV. Um, the, I liked how they did not explain like anything, it yeah. was such a great way to bring the profit back as well as mm-hmm. to give you something that you know that you can trust as a viewer uh, in the middle of all these other things that you can't trust from David's perspective. Uh, and, and I did also like the way that they handled the resolution of like, he's just got to get Kristen there. And yeah. if, if she he can get her there at all, she will figure out um, immediately that that stuff is not what it should be. And I like that knowledge, like that trust he has of her and the confidence he has in her, uh, just abilities as a, as a medical professional, um, but also just in in general, like that she's going to pick up what's going on, at least that something is wrong and and go from there. That's all he's got to do. And that's enough for him to struggle to be able to do. So I I thought that that really worked, worked very well. Um, And like you said, it's a very real issue that they address they start to address and then just decide that's too big of an issue. They're just going to make this be how this doctor, this nurse was able to be doing this for so long. Yeah. And it was because of, you know, the, the racism within the medical industry um, and within hospitals uh, in the United States. And yeah, it was very well shot. The cinematography was, it was very effective. It was a good break from Leland I think it's a yes. necessary break from Leland. Um, she might be one of the sixties, the sixty, but she could also just be a psycho. Uh, yes. I like the return of Rose three ninety. Yeah, and who, yeah, and Ben the Magnificent always great. Who let's let's be very real. Ben got played real hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, and do we like? Do we trust free, previous Kristen? I want to Judy. like previous Jude. Yeah. Do we yeah. like? I like this idea and how, like, the tone of the performances and the writing of, like, oh, she was the the last you. Yeah. <laughs> like, but not in a dismissive way, but also in a very, like, matter-of-fact way. I thought mm-hmm. that the show handled that really well, and I'm assuming she's going to be in the next episode. I uh, would have to kind of assume, too. Um, yeah, I'm I'm distrustful of old Kristen slash current judy yeah current let's judy. also like take take a small hat tip that we've gone from j to k and yeah. 
Yeah. It's yeah. Like, that, that, that feels appropriate. You know, yeah. it feels like there might be a thing there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what that's, their name choices are always interesting on King shows. Judy is a very interesting and specific name, but anyways, it was very effective and super creepy. And I'm glad that I had infinity to tra- train to watch after I watched evil. I definitely, when I had my, my Thursday night viewing, it was, well, we're not ending with evil. That's not going to happen. So we have to end with the unicorn. Or you ended with the Thursday episodes of Infinity Train, which yeah. were also disturbing AF. <laughs> yeah, they were. They were disturbing. We're, we're going to get there. Um, but but good in it. But in a different in yeah. a different way. Uh, let, let's take a little palate cleanser now with yeah. some Spyfall Part Two over on Doctor Who. We we were fans of Part One. We enjoyed Part One and what it looked like it could be bringing to this new season. What did you think of Part Two? I liked Part Two. I didn't like it as much as Part One. Um, I think that just the kind of the novelty of Part One really propelled it forward in really good ways. And I think Part Two has to do a lot of like other stuff, basically, in terms of like we're definitely setting up Ada Lovelace to come back. Um, <laughs> Which I'm here for, but it was also like it was a little setup-y in a oh, lot of ways. I didn't. I don't think. I don't think she's coming back. You think she's oh. coming back? No, I definitely think she's coming back. Interesting. Uh, okay. Yeah, we'll see. Um. Yeah. No, we'll see. But I and then some of like the other like the act of like t- I like the concept of like hijacking human DNA as like memory storage type stuff. I think that's really good, and it's also like a super timely thing as scientists have been fiddling around with that as a concept for a number of years now um, in terms of trying to use that as an actual storage device for data. Um, but just the way in which it gets executed with the weird lightning along people's arms and faces just didn't really make me afraid, really, or, like, scared. It just kind of looked a little... It looked a little hoo-cheesy, and that kind Mm -hmm. of detracted things for me from the rest of the stuff, which I... And especially the aliens themselves, who I still maintain, are just really, really good in their general beings of light incorporealness type of stuff. So, I liked that, um... I am indifferent to the fact that they've destroyed Gallifrey again, but that is also because I'm not steeped in, like, who lore and everything. I mainly just went, wait, I thought Gallifrey was already destroyed. I'm confused. But also, I don't think that there's supposed to be a regeneration after this, or however we got around that. Um, So I just went, whatever. Um... So the Gallifreyan mythology type stuff has never been the thing I really cared about when I watched Doctor Who. So this kind of circling back around to they've lied to us about who we are, about the timeless child thing, which I appreciate the fact that they went, here's this thing in season one that we're now going to bring back and really start to interrogate Um, as on just a structural level. I really, really appreciated that, Um, that I'm just like, I, I'm I'm generally okay if it's just everyone having adventures. I don't I don't I don't need some central mystery to Gallifrey. Um, at the same time, I did appreciate how this allowed for our trio of companions to take a minute and go. Wait, we don't really know anything about this wild lady who's been teleporting us through time and space. We should probably ask some questions. 
And I like that that is like I that as a central tension going forward in the season is something I am actually interested in and how that gets explored. Um, so that's kind of where I am with it. Um, how are you? How did you feel about Skyfall? Skyfall? Spyfall Part 2 and everything that they did um, down to uh, psychic cognitive dissonance so that they don't the Nazis don't recognize the master as not being <laughs> yeah. very Aryan. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Isn't that great? Well, and that's that just was so appropriate. It's like, oh, perception filters. Like, yeah, that yeah. that makes sense. That's yeah. the, like the a time lord should not be limited by something like that, right? That's too. Yeah. It would be great. Don't get me wrong. And so when she blocks the filter, awesome, hilarious. Yeah. But like, as far as a workaround, it's just much easier if you can just wave the psychic paper and be like, "Here's my certification." And let's keep the plot moving, right? Uh, and so I thought that that was super fun. Uh, the 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 time the adventures with Ada Lovelace, <laughs> I love those, like uh, Gordon. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, like maybe you meet an Earl or something, but whatever. Don't worry about it. Um, it was <laughs> terrific. Um, as well as like I and of course I'm familiar with Ada Lovelace, but I was not familiar with Nor Inayat Khan, uh, Codename mm-hmm. Madeline. And so that was really cool for me to then you know go on go online and like do some research about her, and then like you know the fact that we pick up with her. Like this is set shortly before she is captured and killed by the Nazis, uh, and and so that that really put an extra that knowledge put an extra layer on the doctor's like goodbye to her, sort of because she knows what's coming. Um, so yeah, I I always appreciate when the show picks up with historical figures that it thinks that you should know, and it thinks that are worth your investigating, and they don't try to. Like, everybody knows William Shakespeare. The Doctor goes on an adventure with William Shakespeare. The Doctor goes on an adventure with Agatha Christie. Like, don't get me wrong. These are fun episodes. I enjoy these episodes. I am much more interested in the Doctor goes on an adventure with person who's amazing that you don't know anything about, but you should, because come on. Yeah. Um, so that that was a cool way to do it. And I, I would not be surprised if they're like, okay, so we got part one. We're going to set up the master part two. Huh. We want to have the doc. We want to separate the doctor and the companions, so the companions can have some conversations about the fact they don't really know her. And let's have the doctor lost at time. Who should she go on an adventure with? Right, <laughs> it's like making a list of people, and then be like, okay, well, Ada Lovelace, that'll be fun. We could throw Babbage in for a scene or two, and then hmm, let's go with it. It's almost like you spin a, like a, a wheel or something, and like we can have them go into forties France. Why not? Why not? Why not nineteen forty one Paris? Right, and then we can have a scene on the top of the Eiffel Tower. There's a lot of there's a lot of why not in this, and it's super fun, and I'm all all here for that. What I think is interesting about the tension we see headed our way for between the Doctor and the Companions is that I like that they established that the Companions are asking the questions. It's not yeah. just that they haven't thought to ask; it's, it's that she keeps not answering them. Um, so I, I like that, but also I think that they do a really good job because it's similar to some of the tensions that have popped up previously on the show between, uh, especially the 10th doctor and, uh, Rose and Martha and the, and, and what we see now, the big, the big difference is that now we know just about everything that the doctor knows, as opposed to previously when this kind of tension has come up, it's, we've been very much in the companion shoes because the show, the revival was newer and they had added all this mythology that wasn't in the classic series. Uh, so, so that shift in the viewer's perspective really shapes 
uh, the approach, I think, to that this dynamic, and it'll be really interesting to see how the writers address that over the course of the season. I also like that we're getting, like, just how how this doctor handles the loss of Gallifrey and this trauma is going to be, and the fact that it's it's already different than the previous doctors is going to give Whitaker a lot to play with and really explore, and I'm looking forward to that. As for this master, still too twitchy for me, still too yeah. Simsian for me, yeah. but I like that they're throwing in some Ainley as well, uh, with, with like, the free, like, shrinking people down and, all like, all the ridiculousness. Um, I don't like uh, some of the choices, but I like more than I don't like. Yeah. More than I don't like. And uh, I still think that maybe those being, like, are gonna the, the other aliens could end up being Cybermen somehow, mm-hmm. so we'll see. Because I know the Cybermen are coming, <laughs> so I would. I don't think that's the last we've seen of the Master this season. I I wouldn't be surprised if that's not the last we've seen of these other aliens, these creepy light aliens. Um, but yeah, in general, I liked it. Similarly, I had more fun with part one as you did. Yeah. But uh, there's a, just there's a lot of potential here, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, and I'm excited to see what happens. Like, it's, yeah. I, I, I mean, I love the idea that they're just going to go to a spa planet and it's just going to go terribly, terribly wrong. <laughs> because yeah. why wouldn't it? It's a very, it's a very murder she wrote thing. Oh, I'm going to take a vacation. There's been a murder. <laughs> the last time they went to a spa planet that I can think of was, mm-hmm. uh, was Midnight. <laughs> Which is the one where Donna's at the spa and the doctor goes on a sightseeing tour and almost is killed in one of in one of the creepiest episodes of the entire show's run, um, in all like fifty plus years of the show. Uh, so so not a great track record with spa planets. So we'll see we'll see what happens next. Um, let's move over to our last show of the week, and that's Infinity Train Book Two: Cracked Reflection. So the episodes this season are the Black Market Car. The Family Tree Car, The Map Car, The Toad Car, The Parasite Car, The Lucky Cat Car, The Mail Car, The Wasteland, The Tape Car, and The Number Car. We're just getting cracked reflection. <laughs> so, uh, what did you think about the season as a whole? D- did it live up to our high expectations after uh, watching season one and just even the promise of the premiere? I think it did. Like, I really enjoyed the overall arc of this season and the way in which that they managed to figure out a way to tell the story about MT slash Lake um, that made it a Infinity Train story for Lake in terms of all right, I have to accept who I am type of thing, and the only way I'm getting out of here is by accepting who I am. And I really, really like how that kind of... The answer was literally staring her in the face for the entire season. And I just... I really, really like how they found a way to make that work, but also kind of lampshading it with one, two being like, I don't care. And (laughs) (laughs) be like, "Eh, why not? (laughs) Yeah, why not? Um, Just like, yeah, it's just it was it was really good. It was very fraught um, in terms of like a lot of the danger, and I'm like trying to do very macro stuff. Um, but also just like Ben Mendelsohn in the Wasteland was just really, 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 really good, mm-hmm. like disturbingly good. Of and then Bradley Whitford as well popping up as the other cop, um, Chrome Cop was also just. 
deranged and delightful as well. Um, so I was glad that they both got like small showcases. Uh, Mendelssohn more of a showcase than Whitford, but that overall it was just it was really potent. It wasn't as poignant as the previous season was. I think um, that degree of sadness I don't think was quite there, um, but. I think that they made up for it by telling a really good sort of rollicking adventure yarn more so than the previous season. Um, that also had a leaned in heavier on sort of the inherent horror elements that come with the, that we got in the Chrome car and then just extrapolating those out into other things. Um, so that's kind of how I felt before, like on like a big scale type of thing um, before I like, ask you about what did you think about some of the larger world building that they did with the apex kids because oh god oh god um so how did you feel about this season um i liked it a lot i think i like season one better yes as a whole yeah but i think season two is playing with a lot more potent ideas Uh and themes uh-huh. Um, and I, and I was watching the, the final two episodes and I, it wasn't, it didn't sit quite right with me and I couldn't put my finger on why. And I think, you know, just talking with you, I think it's because the ending felt like a cheat a little bit sure. to me. Yeah. It felt too easy and, and it, I can't like, I don't begrudge anyone who needs a happy ending for like who needs her to succeed like and there you know there's so many parallels and there's so many people who i'm sure identify so very strongly with lake and um need that character to get agency and to to find a way off the train so i get that i i, I do and i understand the show wanting to to give her a happy ending of some sort right um but for me it it just it rang a little false um and while the theme of like you said of embracing who she is and with the reflection bringing the answer and 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 ultimately saving her i thought it was beautiful and a really lovely idea uh it's still i think it just it happened so quickly at the end there was so much build up and they really waited until like episode i don't know 5 6 to to start you know to 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 start her journey in a meaningful way and and so then that meant that there was only so much time that to to have that 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 moment and that pivot and that reveal and realization um but yeah i just for me, like the the the, and a lot of people love her name. Um, for me, it was just like, uh, it didn't, it didn't. I don't care about the name Lake. It didn't connect with me. It didn't like, like I could give, list a bunch of reasons. Like, oh, it's a reflective surface that actually hides a world of life and interest underneath, and it's a blah, 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 blah. yeah. But it just in the moment, it felt like she looked at. It's like, what's here? Oh, there's a lake. I'm going to go call myself Lake. You know, I didn't, those moments didn't land with me the way that they, they clearly did with a lot of other viewers and the, the end still like it just, it was a little, it felt a little unsatisfying Um, as much as I did like all the, the twists and turns with the world building. um, I liked how clearly the show wanted to uh, interrogate and engage with 
her violence and what 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 you know her need to be seen um and what that pushes her to do because just looking for help asking for help trying to do is not doing anything the only way she's getting any attention is when she starts killing people sort of i don't know if they count as people and machines um and and that that is a cry for help and and not as an indication of some sort of default in who she is. Uh, so the, like I said, there's a lot of really intense and powerful and interesting themes that the show wanted to deal with. Um, but just, I, maybe it needed more time. I don't know. It just, the end didn't quite click in for me as well as I wanted the rest to. Also, after all that talk, they don't even say goodbye to Alan Dracula. Come on. Yeah, it's rough, but Alan Dracula does save them. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, with he his does. laser eyes where he yeah. blows up Bradley Whitford cop. Um yeah. I I agree with you in that it's a very pat ending. Um I, I'm fine with the lake name. Um my larger thing was always like, wait, no, someone already pointed this out to you. What are you going to do on the other side of that car outside of the train? Like, you're a chrome girl. <laughs> What are you going to do exactly? Because you're not going to age, you're going to rust. Um, Like, I feel like there's like a degree of darkness as well still in that ending that, but at the same time that the show hedges away from. It doesn't want to engage with, yeah. Yeah, that favors that idyllic pan away to the lake scene. Um, Which is really sort of what undermines it for me to a certain degree, in that she's accepted who she is, but at the same time, she, the show doesn't want to engage with the ramifications of this part now, and what, and it, and it won't because otherwise it's a very different, it's a very new show at that point. If they do a third season or third book or whatever. Um, so that was my hang up with the ending is less the sort of pat way of ending and more so the this is a happy ending with an asterisk <laughs> of no wait you everyone's fleshy <laughs> you're not fleshy i i'm very excited that you she has this opportunity to make her own experiences type of thing and everything else but also the weight of that i just the show doesn't fully I feel like doesn't fully like acknowledge and that's my hang up with the ending. Um, but everything else is just really good um, that I'm not totally willing to like give it, like not give it like a little bit of a pass on it either. Because I mean, the degrees to which we get the existential stuff with like the map car and the wind, not wanting them to finish the map because then he disappears because he's just wind. And when yeah. you have a photorealistic map, then there's no wind or with the toad car and the toad being like, you got to kick the toad to get out. And it's like, but don't kick me. And then the toad coming to grips with, well, if I have agency and people kicking me, yeah, then it's, then it's okay. (laughs) Then it's okay. And so the degrees to which that kind of builds, even like getting encapsulated with the parasite car, um, with the parasite taking over Alan Dracula and, that kind of a thing as well. So I think that there's lots of that stuff here, um, even down to the agency that the Apex kids develop in terms of, we just got to get our numbers higher and we can just stay here. Um, is like, right, but also 
That seems bad. <laughs> yeah. Also, the way you make your numbers higher is by doing things that ultimately make you all miserable. Like, uh-huh. long-term miserable. Short-term happy, yeah. long-term miserable. Right. And, like, and I, I think that was a really smart move. I yes. love the, the inclusion of those characters. Because there are definitely people who are going to respond that way. Especially if right. it's mostly kids that you're picking up. Which, they're you know, we find out. That it's not only kids, it's just we happen to have only met kids, but there are people of all ages on the train. Um, that poor, passengers. poor old man, it, like, just pulls yeah. out of his pod and is now yeah. just stranded on top of a train. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyways, the, um, the, the, that whole, uh, that that whole idea, that concept, I think is terrific. It's, for me, it's not as interesting in the, how it's executed here. Uh, because it feels a bit like, like, I kind of wanted to just start going, Rufio, Rufio. Yeah, sure, <laughs> but, sure, sure. But, uh, but, but the, the concept behind it, I think, is great. And there's, like, so much potential for those characters in a third season. Um, there's a lot that they can do with them. And just even bringing up that, that question, like, not taking for granted that someone would want to leave the train, I think, mm-hmm. is, is, is smart. And, and there's, I mean, this is just such a good show. I mean, I guess I have my 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 quibbles with certain things, but I have my quibbles with every show. Yeah, <laughs> or we wouldn't have a podcast same as you. Like if we if we weren't the kind of people to sit and break down the tiny nuances of what we liked and didn't like, we wouldn't have a podcast. But um, but but what it is interested in and like in exploring around uh identity and around choices and around uh per, uh, around who we see ourselves as and who we choose to be. Um, it's just really, it's great storytelling. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm very uh, pleasantly surprised with a lot of the things that we've found in this season. I did not expect them to go dark the way that they did. Yeah. When it's like, yeah, we're, we are killing Ben Mendelsohn now. That's what's going to happen. And we're not going to really have the character spend all that much time examining it because yeah. we don't have the time. And also because she shouldn't have to, he was trying to kill her. Yeah. So dot, dot, dot. But that was a, like you were hinting at, that was a very grim way to end episode eight. Yeah. It was rough. I was just like, Oh, Oh, oh. and just him singing that little song. It's just, Oh, it's so good. Anyway. Yeah. Anyways, any final thoughts on Infinity Train Chapter 2? No, it's just really good, and if you have access to it, you should watch it. Yeah, Cartoon Network, uh, and and the Cartoon Network app, I think you can find it. Probably. Um, Certainly, it's on demand. Yeah, yeah, and like we said, 10 episodes, 15 minutes each, very bingeable, goes down real nice and smooth. You can also space them out. Uh, For me, I think... I prefer Alan Dracula is terrific. Yes. Uh, I was very glad when one, one showed back up though. And uh, that's the one downside of this format is that you don't really get to spend, like they build these really fun, interesting characters and then you get max a season with them. <laughs> and it's yeah. just, that's too bad. But other than that, I was very happy with my, with my time in infinity train book two. I would imagine it's coming back for a book three. I hope. I don't know. Like, I was surprised by the quick turnaround um, for getting book two mm-hmm. relatively shortly after book one aired. Because yeah. book one aired in August, so. Yeah. Well, we'll let you know, listeners, when we hear something. But for now, what wins your week in TV? Um, I'm going to give it to Keep Your Hands Off, Izokin. Um, mm-hmm. But Infinity Train's a very, very, very close second. Uh, what about you? 
Yeah, I think oh, I think it, I think I had to give it to Infinity Train, mm-hmm. but Evil and Good Place were also really good, and I, I enjoyed Shit's Creek, but like those, it was there's a lot of good options this week. There was a lot yeah. of quality TV. A few show notes here at the end of the segment. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can you can send us an email, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can uh, find an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed up at Apple Podcasts. And we're also over on Stitcher. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews at either place. And then we are both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse, And Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Thanks so much for a great week, Kate. Thank you, Noel. And now we're going to take a break, listen to a trailer for Lucifer, uh, because Noel still has not seen Lucifer. So, I mean, it's been all of a week, and he yeah. hasn't watched all of it. Well, come on. Come on. What have you been doing? Slacking, slacking. Yeah, I have been. <laughs> Clearly. Um, so now we're going to listen to that and come back with friend of the show, Latoya Ferguson of the Televoid. Uh, oh, and of course, her fabulous book, uh, An Encyclopedia of Women's Wrestling, 100 Profiles of the Strongest in the Sport. She wrote a gosh dang book. That's very impressive. Um, and she's going to come on to talk Lucifer with me. We'll be right back after this. Where have you been? Oh, hold up with a chateau, copulating with a young woman named Faith. For the Lord of Hells, didn't you be doing something more significant? I'm retired, maze. I want nothing but time. Thank you. Like to play cop, do you? No, I just like to play in general, detective. What about you? something different about her that I don't quite understand, and it vexes me. Maybe it's not her that's different. We should be out there solving homicide and punishing those responsible. We? Have a certain skill set. I can be very persuasive with people. So you were sleeping with her then? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Crap, I just said that in front of people. And tend to see things that others cannot. Oh, you're the devil. <laughs> Correct. What's your name? Lucifer. My name's Beatrice, but everybody calls me Trixie. That's a hooker's name. Why do you care about this so much? I just do. You're showing restraint, mercy, a sense of disapproval, Maze. What is it? Stop caring. You're the devil. Yes, I am. There's a few things that I'd like to discuss with you. You know, just an existential dilemma or two. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik, and this time I am not joined by the lovely Noel Kirkpatrick because he has not watched the show yet. Uh, though I'm, we're we're on it. I'm now. I was very late to the party, listeners, as you are well aware. But as you heard last week, I got caught up in a big way over the winter holiday. Uh, so I, you know, I had to talk Lucifer. And there was only one person, there was a correct person to invite on, of course, from the Televoid, her podcast, and she, of course, has a wonderful book, An Encyclopedia of Women's Wrestling, 100 Profiles of the Strongest in the Sport. You've read her writing at Paste and IndieWire, and of course, her Lucifer write-ups at the AV Club. It's friend of the show, LaToya Ferguson. LaToya, thank you for coming back. Welcome back to the podcast. Hello. I'm late to the Lucifer love, but I am (laughs) officially on board. I'm sorry it took me so long. Aren't you happy you're on board, though? I'm so happy! Like, I haven't been this surprised by, like, especially a network show, a show that started out on network TV Mm -hmm. in a long time, and I shouldn't have been surprised, because you're over there telling us all, this show's really good, guys. Also, this show's really good. Um, But I do, I I must say, in my defense, there are a lot of shows with a pilot (laughs) similar to Lucifer that ended up sucking. 
And that's where I put my blame and also my lack of an open mind and enough time. Uh, because while it is, like, having seen all of Lucifer, I go back and I watch the pilot and I go, oh, no, it's a good pilot. It's really is. But when I hadn't seen all of Lucifer yet and I watched mm-hmm. the, the first episode, I was like, oh, here's where we're randomly sexualizing the cop partner and randomly sexualizing the therapist and not taking her seriously as a person. And all I could see all of these giant red flags. And then the show is none of that. And mm-hmm. I'm just I was just very wrong. So uh, did you have similar qualms when you first started the show or were you able to just go into it more open minded? I think uh, not so much the qualms, which also the qualms, it's a testament to how great the writing is that like, oh, this was all things they were going to address. And then they did. So that was always great. Um, but uh, it was more, oh, great. A, a cheesy procedural. Another one of these because. You were saying there are a lot of shows that are similar that are not good, which is true, which is like, you know, you have the serious cop and then the, you know, doesn't play by his own rules uh, consultant. Mm-hmm. And I think I think this is uh, I had given up on the mentalist. So I, I needed something because <laughs> that show just was dreary. Um, so I needed something light and I had given up on Bones, too. So it's just like start start all over. And, you know, it wasn't great to be good. Like going back, it is a good pilot. It's kind of like the vampire diaries where like you could say, Oh, that wasn't a good pilot when you originally watch it, watch it, watch it past. Like, Oh wait, no, this is actually a really, really good pilot. It's just, you have to know kind of where they're headed. Yeah. Yeah. To know, Oh no, this was actually really good. Um, but there are still certain things in that first season. I'm just like, this is awful. Like everything with the Palmetto stuff. I'm so happy. We never have to hear the words Palmetto ever again. Uh, after season one, um, Dan uh, as a corrupt cop, which I, uh, the most amazing uh, trick that the show ever pulled is redeeming Dan, honestly. Dan the douche. Yeah, you would not think that after season one. You yeah, would I, not think that. It's so weird for me watching this show uh, and, and going back and rewatching season one, you know, for the listeners who haven't watched it yet, there's a, like a thread about police corruption and this like, palmetto case that is why our cop in the cop not a cop dynamic is on the outs with the rest of the department um that is because she's not corrupt which always makes you uh, on the outs with uh, of course your cop friends well because i had such an affinity for kevin alejandro from true blood and other things i'd seen him in Mm -hmm. um i just never really bought into dan the corrupt cop I just was like, no, nah, he's not. <laughs> and, no, is, he very much was. <laughs> even though, like, well, but everything, every time we see him on the show in the in the first season, being kind of cagey, is he, he's done, not actually doing anything wrong until you find out that he shot someone because they were going to shoot his wife. Like, and th- so, like, I, f- I feel like they actually did a really good job of playing into that dynamic and then subverting it because they realized like the energy of the cast that was not going to work and also was not the way like the energy they wanted the show to have. And so they, they do the more hard boiled kind of cop stuff in the first season. And for me, it it does work, but then they just kind of steer out of that in season two, they bring on Ella and they're like, no, we're just going to have happy, you know, hugs in the lab kind of energy Literal hugs at work lab. now. The other thing about the show, which kind of has remained, which I kind of love, is just how kind of, like, sucky the cases are. Mm -hmm. They've stopped trying to take the cases as seriously as they used to, especially in the first season. Because, like, the cases actually were never 
great. It was not like you were sticking around to see any fun cases, like kind of like uh, early Castle had some really good cases. I don't think that that was ever Lucifer's bag, really. It was always, I think always it was better on the character front, and it's only gotten better on the character front, really. Yeah, well, it definitely is. And once you have learned that you can trust the writers, it really lets you just settle into the show and appreciate all the things that it's doing well. Again, it's something that you realize as you watch more of the show, but having your not-a-cop be Lucifer <laughs> lets <laughs> you have so much fun because there's a reason for your not-a-cop to not take thing, the, the cases of the week seriously because he's immortal and he's been alive for thousands of years and these humans are constantly killing each other. And it's like there's a natural remove that fits in with the character and doesn't make them, you know, terrible the way that the, the other shows have to really strain to overcome that barrier so that we can have people like joking at the crime scene, you know, because they want a more comedy vibe while also having grisly murders to investigate. And some some of the Cop Not a Cop shows handle that better than others. I think, you know, the elements of Bones work really well with that um, at certain points of its run. Uh, then other shows, like Castle isn't always as good at, at that. It's like, horribly murdered over here. Why are we Why are we cracking jokes? Um, oh, yeah, but, like... But make Lucifer you're not a cop, and there's a... Of course he makes everything about himself. He's the devil. Like, Rick Castle had to have been, like, a... A literal psychopath honestly for mm-hmm. as into uh, the whole like grizzly murder stuff as he was as a writer it's like no there's something wrong with you if you're like really this into these uh, crime scenes dude yeah it's a, it's a little much well and you know I, I really do think for lucifer where what this all comes down to is is good writing well good performances it wouldn't work with, without the, this cast especially i think tom ellis really yeah. centers it very very well but um but it, it's it's this focus on on character and like getting to know like why why does Lucifer work in as you're not a cop because he's just looking f- to do anything interesting and this is his way into something different and interesting and why does Chloe work as his partner you meet her mom and you go oh of course oh she's <laughs> very used to this dynamic and feels this is actually a bit of a safe space for her having someone like with this energy around her um and then from there they can just kind of branch out and and build but having you know having a lot of fun having just taking nothing seriously very much following the character of lucifer and taking none of this seriously until it's time for that little like tonal shift and pivot that they do so well uh, when we shift over to chloe's dynamic uh it really lets you just sink into and have fun with the procedural format and listeners of the televerse know i love the procedural format i need more cop not a cop in my life uh good ones and and this really scratched that itch for me and it was like i seriously latoya i binged the show in like two weeks all good. of it i'm so happy for you so uh, like I said, I kind of started watching the show ironically, and also just it's like it's fun. Devil Cop. We all we've all joked about Devil Cop. It's good and, cop, hot Devil Cop. I mean, we all yeah. know this. Yeah. And, and then like halfway through the first season, I'm like, uh, it's I was like, this is actually kind of getting really good. This isn't ironic anymore. And mm. then I get this is how I, like I started just tweeting about it nonstop and basically demanding that I cover it for every club. So that's kind of how I got that beat for like the it like started with the last three episodes of season one, and then it just continued on into season four on netflix baby mm-hmm. well and i, th- I think they're like it, it the show does follow an upward trajectory too like it built it's fun it does it starts out and it's just kind of very watchable but less notable and then it improves and they have a strong first season uh 
end of the first season. This is a show that's very good at its season finales. Um, it's three, it goes right into season two. They make some tonal shifts that I think really work, add, adding an Ella. And then we get to season three, and you know one of our our listeners, Vince, is having hard a hard time right now in season three. He also has binged the show in the past two weeks after <laughs> we talked about it on the podcast. So we're going to keep our most of our chat here pretty spoiler free, uh, but we will have a brief chat towards the end where we talk about there because there's one this one character in season three that I've got some issues with. So we're going <laughs> to do some spoilers on that. And I'm also very puzzled by why. There are 26 episodes in season three. Now, did they shift a few from season two? And then are those the the ones they tacked in at the end of season three? Or did they seriously just uh, order it up for 26? Season three. Doesn't season three have uh, extra season two episodes? Or they did add more episodes? What, what well, is it again? It has, there's two extra episodes that they aired after the show had been canceled that are all mm-hmm. t- like the one is the Ella. Oh yeah, the, there are leftover season two episodes that they put in there as well. Okay, those are leftover season two episodes. Yeah, well, and I know uh, there was also talk that maybe if the show got renewed, that they were going to put them into season four. And I'm just like, just put you should just put them in season two. I love those episodes; they're super fun. They kept giving them extra episodes, even though like clearly you're going to kill it, you monsters. <laughs> well, because the the there's a clear. Like, you can see as you're watching the show, they have certain beats they want to stay on. They usually do a good job of not um, sticking in any one character development stage for too long. But they also are trying to line up the character st- things with the plot things that need to happen. And so then in season three, they they end up stuck in some some of these beats just too long while they wait for episode X so that this person shows up and then that moves everybody to their next stage of development. I do think they like it worked well with Off the Record, which is the one with Linda's ex-husband, that episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. I think they, they were able to work that in well. The second Candy Morningstar episode, that's one of the extra season two episodes. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think there were like four and they're all delightful. Yeah, the one where Maze is uh, picking up... Uh, uh, she tracked a bounty to Canada. That's one of the extra season two ones. Mm-hmm. There's the alt universe one narrated by Neil Gaiman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't, know if they, I don't think that was an extra season two episode. I think that was one of the extra episodes they ordered for season three. Oh, okay. I see what you mean. Because they did the yeah. same thing in season three. Because they wanted a certain number. I think they were Fox was trying to figure out how they could get more eyes on this show because I think they knew it was good. So they wanted standalone episodes that they could promote to get people yeah. in the door. But then they, it was a question of when they ended up airing them. Yeah, I think those episodes each work individually. And the, and goodness knows I, I enjoy a standalone episode. More shows should do them and stop calling themselves 10-hour movies. But um, <laughs> No, TV yeah. is movies now, as oh, you know. God. Yeah. Oh, TCAs. Anyways, um, <laughs> the, uh, but, but the, the yeah, it's just, it, it's an interesting thing to watch the show go from 13 episodes in season one, 18 in season two, 26, and then you, it goes over to Netflix, and it's of such a streamlined 10. It's their best season. It's their most interesting uh, season for, for my money. Um, and a big part of that is that they can connect right in with where everybody's at they've escalated the stakes at this point so significantly that there's just no time for anything else and i think that that going to that 10 episode order really does help yeah it, re- it really helped a lot although uh, which is usual for those shows those netflix shows where it really works i'm just like i need more 
I need mm-hmm. more now. Yeah. Oh, no, I need season five in my brain immediately. It needs to I have need happened. More, I need more Eve, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just all, just all of it. Latoya, help, help me convince people to watch this show. What do you think are the elements of the show that make it stand out compared to all the other cop, not a cops out there? Uh, as opposed to all the other cop, not a cops. The only other cop, not a cop out there that I would say you should also watch and like, just forget the rest. Just watch these two. It's Lucifer and uh, my beloved dead limitless, the TV series. <laughs> oh my God. Like, Noel still gives me crap about this. As he should. As he should. Well, no, because I thought that I had read that it had been renewed. Yes, you know. Yeah. Still. (laughs) Still. I will never live it down. And that is appropriate. I take that. That I deserve that. Yeah, that was that. See, you have such excellent taste. Uh, Yeah, that was another one that had so much potential and then just got canceled. Um, I, the, what I keep coming back to with Lucifer is the writing and the performances. So let's talk about some of these, these performances. What are, if you had to, if you have to point to your favorite three characters, who would you go oh, with? Oh no, don't, don't make me do it. I said three. I gave you some wiggle room there. God damn it. I, I feel like Lucifer shouldn't count because he's Lucifer. He's, yeah. Okay. He's everyone's favorite. So yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's see. Give me Maze. Mm-hmm. Give me, uh, uh, give me Charlotte Richards slash mom. Give me, uh. Okay, that's know. a little bit of a cheat there. Are you going with, you ca- counting them as one? I'm counting them as one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 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 That's uh, fine. That's fine. I, uh, usually I would not love this character. I would think she's too much. And, uh, the Arrowverse shows have kind of a version of this character that, in general, in their templates, that kind of annoys me most of the time. But I'm going to say Ella. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really enjoy Ella. And, and I, because I had enjoyed the show bringing on someone for whom their faith is an important part of their life, um, into this, in this, this ensemble and not having it, like, obviously her season four arc is very much around her questioning and and eventually coming into stronger terms with her faith. But having that just be part of who she is and in something that informs her choices, but not the, she's the religious one on the show. And so now let's find ways to wedge her into every episode to bring up theology. I appreciate how rounded of a character she is. But I love, I love them all equally. Yeah. I knew I was on board with the show when I realize just how much they respected linda yes and so that's because i always enjoy rachel harris but um when i when i started trusting them with that character that's when i knew i was very much on board so i'm gonna pick her as one of my favorites also just the opportunity to be the therapist for the devil that's gotta be fun right (laughs) there's so much to play with that character So I'm going to I'm going to call her one for a supporting character seriously underrepresented. I'm hoping that gets fixed in season 5. I have a big place in my heart for Trixie and especially Trixie and Maze. Yeah. Uh, the best friendship on the show. Clearly. It just it's obvious that you know, Maze's first friend yeah. ever. <laughs> um and then for the last one, oh it's it's hard cuz I do think the ensemble all does come together really nicely. Uh I'm going to go with the Menadiel, but not a Menadiel how he is in the first season, because that takes too long. It's not very interesting. Where we find him by the end, uh, like, I forget. I was watching the show with my brother around Thanksgiving. I was hanging out with him a few weeks later. I was like, oh, can we watch some Lucifer? And I'm I'm way beyond. And he had gone from watching episode 
like four of season one. And then a couple weeks later, I was on season four. And he's like, what happened to the uh, the guy who was like really angry? He was trying to kill Lucifer. I was like, what are you talking? Oh, no, he's good now. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're cl- they're good. They're tight. They're, they're buddies. Um, it, it's just so fun for me to see D.B. Woodside get this much to play. Because he's popped mm-hmm. up on a bunch of shows that I watch, but I've never liked him as much as I do on this show. And just seeing the range he gets to work with is is really delightful. So good. Yeah. Uh, it's a great cast, uh, great female characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, how do you take a character like like Eve and make them interesting? And this is a show that, that absolutely does in, in, the, in the fourth season. It's like it, the perspective that they bring to figures that have popped up that are so prevalent in pop culture and in obviously in theology but you know in we're talking about just like tv shows and stuff having her just be a normal person who did not get any agency in most of her human life um being literally formed from something else for the purpose of being like i can't even I, i had somehow never thought about what that would mean to be created to be someone's husband with no say in, in the matter. Uh, and I thought, I think it's really impressive what they did with that character in season four. And it's the same, it's the same respect they bring to and thoughtfulness they bring to each of these characters. Um, starting, I mean, starting and ending obviously with Lucifer. Yeah. It really understands. It really goes deep into like the struggles that these kind of, these celestial beings would have, after all these centuries, obviously, to kind of just sit with all of this, um, which is why it's also great that the writing at the same time can be the most juvenile writing you've ever oh seen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, love, they love their childish humor, and I love them for it. I mean, just, of course, I watched this episode after we'd already done our best TV uh, of the year kind of episode, but if... If I had watched it in time, clearly the best episode title of last year was Orgy Pants at Work or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, Orgy Pants to Work. Yes. Orgy Pants to Work, which is just like, this is a show that's going to have fun with that. Or Lucifer is trying to not fall asleep, so he does a bunch of coke and then tries to build Ikea furniture. Um, I mean, so it's it's just absolutely ridiculous. And it's a show that is always willing to have fun with every aspect of its characters and everything they can possibly think of having them do without ever making fun of their characters or without ever having fun at their uh at their expense and and minimizing them in order to do it and that is something i always appreciate uh i mean the the closest show tonally i could compare it to is legends of tomorrow and that is a high level of praise for me Mm -hmm. and uh there could there should be more shows aiming for that tone have you have you watched Crisis? Have you seen the? Oh yeah. So did you see the Lucifer scene? Obviously, oh, that is the scene that pushed me over. Like I literally was sitting on the couch, going like, "Well, that Crisis scene was really fun, and Latoya loves this show, and she knows what she's talking about, so I should probably give it a shot." Okay, <laughs> let's watch Lucifer. And it, like it it was that that cameo in Crisis that pushed me over the edge to finally checking out the show instead of just flipping past it literally while I did think Latoya says it's good again <laughs> I'll, I'll do it later so that that says a lot but I mean like are you anticipating a Constantine cameo in season five the way I know a lot of people are keeping their fingers crossed 
I, I hope. I'm so happy that Tom Ellis was lying about not doing the crisis cameo. Uh-huh. I'm so happy he was a little liar about that. <laughs> yeah, Lucifer doesn't lie, but Ellis does, and I'm very much okay with that. Because, uh, because it, again, it's just so much fun. The scene is just so such a perfect fit for that legends energy of like how many people are in the scene, and uh, in if there wasn't crisis happening, would three of them be in bed together? Absolutely. And only not Diggle, uh, because he's just very Diggle. Um, he's, he's too Diggle to partake. Yeah. yeah. It would just be, but, th- not, it, would, it just wouldn't be fun. Uh, but if Sarah Lance were there and not a kept woman, she would be mm. part of that. Yeah. Well, if Sarah and Ava were there, they would just all have some fun together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fanfics have been written, I'm sure, already. Oh, I am certain. I have no, no, no doubts about that. It's just the energy of the show is just one of very serious reflection on the notions of guilt and on responsibility and on uh, fate and will, free will, while also just being the most ridiculous show you've ever seen. And I think that any show that is interested in examining those those elements of of humanity and of life while also riding a tiny bike around a, a mansion is the show I want to watch. Uh, the tiny bike. Yeah. The little, the little tricycle or whatever. monkey. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. And then he ends it by watching Bones. Yep, of course. So that we can set up a Bones joke. Yeah. Now I did promise a little bit of spoiler spoiler talk so we're we're still gonna keep things vague but i gotta talk a little bit after because i've heaped so much praise on the show i i can you sell me on kane and on pierce and on well first i like i feel like you skipped past for something that makes season two really great obviously which is uh charlotte richard slash mom yeah that is the integral part of season two yeah, what Trisha so Helfer always, always Trisha Helfer brilliant. is yeah. absolutely brilliant and cannot heap enough praise on her in season two. Yeah. Uh, do you want me to sell you on Kane? How so? Okay, so here's the thing. So I don't understand, and I do not mean any malice or, or negative, uh, like, like, I'm not trying to criticize this actor. Um, why do you cast Tom Willing for this role? I don't think he's as good at this kind of thing as the rest of the cast. And so I know a lot of Lucifer fans really like him and in like him in this role and really, you know, enjoy that character, but for me I just kept be like he's just he's too wooden. I'm not laughing. Maybe it's cuz I don't have that Smallville connection that other people do. Yeah, but probably cuz I feel like villain Tom Welling like some, was some of the best work he did in Smallville. Actually, I would say it was like a lot of it was better than the Kane stuff too. Uh, I think with Kane, a lot of it they play, had him play it very, very, very close to the vest. Mm-hmm. Even kind of like after the fact uh, that we knew how terrible he was, because I think a lot of it was also um, kind of through Lucifer's perspective, and he didn't realize how much of a threat he was until it was kind of too late. So I think that's why. So much of it is kind of just blank, really, because mm-hmm. he's not really realizing how much of a threat he is until it's far too late, honestly. Yeah. No, I I, I see that. It's just, I just kept watching. Like, I compare it to season two, where your big new cast member is Trisha Helfer, who is amazing. And season four, where they bring in Graham, Matav- uh, Graham McTavish and Inbar, oh, goodness, what's her last name? Inbar? Lobby. Lobby. 
Lavi. Yeah. Um, and they're both wonderful. And I just go like, it just if you had like, I just start fa- like fantasy casting, and <laughs> I like the fantasy casting. I don't even have a particular person I have in mind, but I like that version of season three so much better. Uh, any final thoughts on Lucifer? Any final? Please to our listeners who are not listening to me, but should listen to you. Uh, the show starts off simple enough, but uh, by season, like by the end of season one, you're getting some heavy emotional weight in addition to some very clever, albeit intentionally juvenile humor. Mm-hmm. Um, the cast is truly uh, one of the great. Uh, these characters, uh, the writers honestly put so much effort into these characters and their psyches and what makes a tick. And it's great. Lucifer's a great show. Yeah, it's super fun. Y'all should go. You should y'all should go check it out. Uh, catch up in time for season five. Season five is going to be two half seasons, each of eight episodes each, so sixteen episodes total, but broken into two mini arcs. It sounds like. Um, and I I can't wait. And hopefully. Latoya, you will come back when the show wraps and we can do another one of these full spoilers on everything that happens in season five. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Well, thank you, Latoya. Thank you, everyone, uh, for listening. Go watch Lucifer. (laughs) We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. (laughs) 